Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. Due to CDC recommendations, we are live streaming our services until further notice. You can join us online at 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings on our YouTube channel by searching for A10 Sunday Morning, or you can watch this last week's message at area10church.com. For more information, you can visit area10church.com slash now to learn more about what is happening at Area 10 Church right now. We hope to see you back at the Bird Theater again soon. I want to talk about Jesus, not a shocker, I think, for a church, but I want to talk specifically about his leadership ability. I believe that Jesus was the greatest leader who ever lived, and it's not even close. Anybody else you would think, okay, they were a great leader, they accomplished great things in their lifetime. Even if they were terrible and they accomplished terrible things, they, they still moved a lot of people, they conquered land, they conquered people. None of those are the greatest leader who ever lived. Think of Alexander the Great or any of the Caesars or, or somebody like Genghis Khan who, who, you know, they did all of these things, but they were not the greatest leader who ever lived. Some people have led revolutions um, and that's been impressive. Um, some people have conquered land, and that's been impressive. But really, like today, thousands of years, hundreds, decades, hundreds, or thousands of years later, who cares what those leaders did? Who, you don't see anybody today giving their life to Julius Caesar. You don't see anybody today uh, say, man, um, I met Alexander the Great, and it changed my life, and it got me out of addiction. No, Jesus does that. Jesus did that for people, and he still does that today. Um, he, he changes people, and, and this should be remarkable to us. This should blow us away that some guy who walked the earth thousands of years ago is still having such an incredible impact that, that really billions of people around the world today are, are still talking about him and still worshiping him. It, and, it, and it should be remarkable to us, and maybe it's not. Maybe if you say, okay, Jesus was like, some long-haired, uh, hippie, sandal-wearing guy. I, I guess he lived a long time ago. He lived in some country in the Middle East. He walked around and he said nice things to nice people, and that's basically all he did. If that's what you think Jesus is, and you're like, I, I don't really have the mental energy for that. I need to go like binge-watch a Netflix show. I mean, if that's really what you think Jesus is, I think you're missing it. You're missing how profound a, 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 leader, a leader he was and, and what he was able to do. Uh, think about it. Jesus taught the masses, yes, but he primarily spent his time with 12 guys and poured his leadership energy into 12 guys. And one of them ended up being a dud. So really 11 guys are the ones he he worked with. And through them, he changed the world in ways that we're still talking about today. 11 guys uh, in Israel. And Israel in that day was not a significant country. It was a, a small part. There's larger empires around it. It's just a one little sort of corner of the Roman Empire. Uh, so in an insignificant place, in a small part of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee in the north, in a, in a, in a small town, uh, Jesus invests in 11 guys, and uh, something happens there that kind of expands, and it lights a fire in people's heart, and that, those fires still burn in people's hearts today, 2,000 plus years later. Now, how did he do that? How did he, how did he lead so well? How did he launch this re- revolution? Um, well, in part, he did it because he resurrected. He, he came back from the dead. That's, 
That's certainly a, a, a part of the whole thing. And we can't discount that. We need, to, we need to recognize that, man, Jesus rose from the dead, and that's the thing that his followers talked about for centuries and still talk about. But also, he, he was an incredible teacher, and he taught some things, and he taught some principles, and, and taught ways that we should relate to power and all of that stuff that's worth looking at. And I want us to dive into it and, and talk about it, because his teaching and his wisdom have endured for centuries and, and it's still worth looking at. We're in this series called Rise Up, and we're talking about how we can rise up as better leaders, but not just as leaders, uh, just as followers of Jesus. How do we rise up coming out of the shelter at home time, which ends who knows when? Uh, maybe it ends differently in the city of Richmond than the counties, I don't know. But coming out of this time, uh, how do we rise up and, and become stronger, become better than what we were going into it? Um, wh- what, what can we do? And so a few weeks ago, we looked at uh, shepherding and care for people, what that looks like. Then we talked about humility and how that's an essential characteristic for leaders. Last week, we talked about mentoring, to be a leader is to to pass on what you know to other people. And today, I want to look at this principle kind of behind all of this. This is an underlying posture that all good leaders have. Um, And and so if you think about leadership in Jesus's day, you you have kings, you have governors, people like Caesar, right? You have these kind of leaders. You have In other kingdoms, you had things like, you know, before you'd had pharaohs and all that. And then you have like military leaders. So leadership in the ancient world looks very top down. It looks very, I'm in charge as the the divine ruler kind of thing. And then you are all my people and you need to follow and do what I say. Or if you're a military leader, it's like the chain of command, I'm in charge, you do what I say. So there was a lot of power in leadership. And Jesus comes along and he upends that entire power structure in the ancient world. And he doesn't do it through a coup and he doesn't do it through a revolution. He does it more through a renovation of the heart. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Uh, If you have a Bible at home and you're following along, Mark chapter 10 is one of the four biographies of Jesus. Four guys wrote uh, a lot about his life. Mark was one of them. He recorded some things so we would know later what Jesus did and said. And and in Mark chapter 10, uh, he has this conversation with two of those 12 followers, closest followers, two guys come up to him and they have this conversation and it ends up being a little bit about power but, but becomes about something else around leadership. And I want us to turn to, we'll put it up on the screen. Let me just talk you through a few of these verses. Mark 10, starting with verse 35, it says this. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So James and John, two of Jesus' 12, they're sons of a guy named Zebedee, so they're brothers, and they go to Jesus and say, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Like, I'm a dad, so I know what this sounds like when your kids come to you, and it it almost sounds like, hey, uh, we want you to say yes before I ask you the question. Will you just do the thing that we want you to do? So Jesus decides to play along, verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. So their, their conception of the kingdom of God is something about power. They're thinking Jesus is going to rule in power. He's going to be the king over this whole place. Jesus, when you get to be king, can I sit at your right and your left? Can we be the, your, your, your kind of number one, number two guy in charge right next to you? They ask him for this, this position of power. Listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. 
And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus uses this idea of cup. The, the, the cup is always understood in the Old Testament as being of suffering. So Jesus is saying basically to them, hey, can you, you guys want to sit at my right and left hand? You want that kind of position? Can you suffer like I'm going to? And they don't really know, right? But they say, yeah, we can do that. Very confident. Yeah, we can suffer. And Jesus says, oh, you will. He's being prophetic about how their lives will eventually end. You will suffer, um, but if you're going to sit at my right and left when I'm in glory, that's not my, that's not my spot to give. They, they think that when Jesus is in glory, he's on a throne, when in reality, he's actually going to be on the cross, and the people on his right and left are going to be some thieves. It's pretty, pretty wild. So look, look at what happens next, verse 41, 41. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. So the other guys, the other disciples heard this and they said, why are you, why, why, did, why did you guys go ask Jesus to have this special seat next to him? And I don't know if they're indignant because they asked or if they're indignant because they didn't think of it first. And they're like, wait a second, we should have thought of that. And Jesus sees this thing going on with them and listen to what he says to him, them, verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus is like, hey, do you know how leadership works around here? You know how power works? You know how it goes? Uh, Someone's in charge, and they lord it over people. They they rule with an iron fist, that kind of thing. Um, And and I'm sure the disciples, they know the game. they, They hear him, and they go, yep, we know exactly what that looks like. We've seen that kind of leadership. But then look at what he says in verse 43, and this is the, the change in posture. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, No, not so with you. Kingdom leadership isn't going to look like this. It's not going to look like you uh, lording it over other people. In my kingdom, the rules are different. And the way you're going to lead is to not exercise power over people, but it's actually to serve people. The way you're going to be a leader is not to climb a ladder of success, but it's actually going to be in in a very humble posture where you're serving your team. Jesus says, at the end of this, he says, even the Son of Man, talking about himself, he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's an incredible statement. Jesus says, I came to serve you, not to be served. Think about all the power Jesus has. He created everything. Everything around you right now, Jesus thought and brought into existence in some form. He was part of the creation process of the world. He has incredible power, and yet he doesn't flex. He doesn't say, oh, I'm powerful, I'm here, everybody needs to bow down and worship me like a Caesar or a Pharaoh would do. He says, no, I'm gonna serve you. And he, and he demonstrates for us servant leadership. What are the implications of that? I think, for one, it means that God is humble, 
that, that Jesus would take that position of service to his people. We talked about humility a couple weeks ago, but it's, a, it's an important piece. Jesus has left his lofty position and he comes down to serve us. But I think also means that servanthood is the key to effective leadership. If you want to dominate people, if you want to have impressive leadership, strong leadership, powerful leadership, all that kind of stuff, you want to go take that hill, you want to crush your goals for the quarter and all that kind of stuff, you can do that and it will work in the short term. But in the long term, if you're going to really change hearts and change the world, you're going to need to do it through servanthood. You have to serve. Several years back, probably a decade or more now, uh, Jim Collins was a leadership guru, wrote a couple of books that everybody in the business world seemed to be reading. People in the church world were reading it too. The books Good to Great and, and Built to Last. And I don't know if you read those, but one of the things he was really advocating is that there are these levels of leadership. And, and uh, when I first saw this, I thought this is really good. And I just want to talk you through the different kinds of leaders that you can have in any organization. This is true at work. This is true at school. This is true at uh, military in, in many ways. It's true certainly in the church. Uh, he says there are five levels of leadership. And I want to just walk you through these. Number one, the lowest level of leadership is called position. I have the title. Therefore, the, this is my right. Um, I'm the boss. You need to listen and do what I say because I'm the boss, Right? Number two, a higher level of leadership is permission. I have a relationship with you, so you're going to do what I say because we have a relationship, not just because I'm the boss, but because you, there's some level of trust, trust there. You go, oh, okay, I trust you. I'll do what you say. Number three is called production. A leader rises to this level when they get results. I have a track record. I'm getting results. I'm getting the job done, and that's called production, and people will follow you as a leader because they know you win, and I want to be on a winning team. Number four is called, and this is where servant leadership really starts to kick in. Number four is called people development, where you say, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in you, and people will follow you because they know that you are personally invested in them, in their growth, in their development, not just for the job, but, but personally, just in their lives. When people sense that you are for them um, and you are serving them and, and trying to, to, to help them, um, that's, a, that's a higher level of leadership still. And, and a lot of people maybe can get to level four as leaders. Uh, very few people get to level five. And level five is, is called the pinnacle leadership. And that is when, you, um, when, when someone leads and, and you, you follow them out of just respect for who they are. Um, in, in sort of a, a grand sense. Like in the church, like maybe if, if Billy Graham... You know, if years ago Billy Graham had gone to church and said, I want to be pastor of this church, people would go, Billy Graham? I mean, he's Billy Graham. We need to do what he said. Maybe, you know, a decade or more ago, if you're in a tech company and, and, and the tech company says, hey, we just hired Steve Jobs to be our CEO, you would have been like, I don't even know if he knows how to do this job, but Steve Jobs, man, like he's the, he's the guy. I will follow him just because of who he is. Very few people reach that level of leadership. I think... Jesus understood these levels of leadership, whether he ever used those terms or, or called that. He understood that the, the way we, we lead well is to serve people that are, are working with us or working for us. Um, he understood the principle that leadership is not power. Leadership is influence, that we shouldn't confuse those things. Power is I can make you do what I want. And, and certainly you see that sort of flexed all over the world. But leadership is not, it, leadership is influence, and influence is not, I can make you do what I want. It is, 
I, I, can, I can change maybe some of your behavior or your actions or some attitudes or stuff, but, but I don't do it through coercion. I do it through inspiration. Um, I, I love and serve you, and you go, I want to, to change. I want to do things. Um, the way you go up the chart of leadership is not by flexing power. It is by um, using influence and by serving people and serving your team. So practically at work, what would this look like? Let's do work and home, and then we're done. At work, what would it look like to serve your team? Now, this is varies by context, right? You've got, you know, some of you are kind of in the, the corporate world. Some people are in education. Some of us in church. So different, different things that we do, but I think the principles hold. What does it look like to serve your team? Uh, Simon Sinek uh, is a, a, a writer and, and speaker. He's got a lot of interesting stuff to say, and, and he has a, a, a book called Leaders Eat Last, and I, I saw that, I was like, yeah, this is getting at it. I, I'm pretty sure this gets at the servant leadership idea. And he, I saw an interview where he explained where the title came from. He had actually interviewed a Marine Corps general and basically said to him, hey, you Marines are awesome. Like, what's your, what's your secret? How, do you, how are you so, such a good uh, organized machine? Like, what's the secret? And this general said to him, oh, um, leaders eat last. That's our secret. And basically the idea of in the leadership chain of command, you know, you go higher up at the command. Uh, when when mealtime comes, you make sure everyone else is eaten before you ever get to your food. Um, leaders eat last. And I actually talked to TJ on our staff who was, you know, like a Marine for a decade. And I said, is that true? And he said, oh, that's definitely true. Like the sergeants and the people, you know, kind of higher up, they, they're going to wait for everyone else and make sure that everyone else is taken care of first. So maybe in your organization, in, in your leadership, um, you can go, uh, okay, I want to make sure everyone eats before I do. You can do this in the, in the home too, right? Like this is why mom never gets a hot meal is because she always made sure everyone got theirs first, right? There's, there's that principle still, still plays out. But at work, literally, if you had a meal together, you could eat last. That's a way to do it, right? Um, you, could, you could serve your team by making sure people get paid and get pay raises and, and maybe making sure that they get paid before you do. You say, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and I'm going I'm to advocate for my team, um, give them raises first. You, could, you can serve your team um, by, by listening to them, by, by checking in with them on their life, on their, on their, not just in their work performance, but on their whole life and see how they're doing and where you can help them. Not to check in on people to micromanage them. I don't think anybody really likes that. But you can, you can check in with them and, and just say a, a good question for leaders to ask people who work for them or who are on the team with them is to say, hey, what can I take off your plate? How can I help you? What do you need right now? Um, where, where are you struggling and, and where do you want me to step in? Um, that's a way as a leader that you can serve people uh, that, that work with you. Now, why don't we do that more? You, I think we could nod our head and go, yeah, that would be good like, for leaders. Why don't we do it more? I think we don't do it more because we've been told that good leadership is strong leadership. It's, it's powerful. It's, it's a strong position. It is um, you know, very decisive, those sorts of things. And there's a time for that, and there's a need for that, certainly, in, in leaders. Um, but I think when we tell people that good leadership is strong leadership and you have to sort of almost lead with this iron fist kind of idea, I think we are inadvertently communicating that serving people on the organization chart who are beneath you is actually beneath you, that you, that you shouldn't serve people. 
And I think that's a mistake. I think we're afraid to look weak. And so we don't want to, we don't want to do that. Um, I try to think about how I have done this uh, for better or worse over the last 20 plus years of, of leading in, in the church and leading, um, I, had a, I had a stint where I led, in, at a, I, was, I managed Starbucks as well, so I led there. And I try to think about, okay, what are the ways that I, that, I, that I was good at this, that I served the team that worked for me, and what are the ways that I just wasn't? And, I, and, I, and where, where were the times that I felt entitled? Um, and, I, and I try to, try to analyze that, um, where I've gotten it right and wrong. And I'm committed to the team that I have now I'm committed to serving them. I'm committed to showing up for them. I'm committed to checking in on their lives and, and helping them flourish um, and asking them about their faith and asking them about what God's doing in their life and asking them about their struggles and asking them about their, their jobs. And, and I'm still learning to do all of that well. So that's at work. Um, what does servant leadership look like in the home? Because leadership in the home is influence. Um, we, we all have it. Now, leadership in the home... Uh, you primarily think of it as with, with parents and kids. I, I guess it can work with spouses as well. But with parents and children, we lead them. And um, that's pretty tricky, right? Uh, there, there's some challenges there. Because really, as parents, especially early parents, all of us sort of function like a level one leader on that chart. We, we're sort of like, and, and how many parents, you can be honest right now, how many of you have ever said, because I said so, right? Hey, why do you do this? Because I said so. That's level one leadership. I have the title, I'm dad, your kid, therefore, you don't need to question, just do what I said, right? We've all, we've all been there, we've all, those words have tumbled out of our mouths. Um, that is the lowest level of leadership. Now, I get it, right? If you've got a toddler, and that toddler um, wants to stick a fork in a light socket, you know, this isn't the moment to go to your toddler and be like, um, now, tell me about your Enneagram number. And, um, you know, what, tell me a little bit about, you know, how did you score Myers-Briggs? And, oh, I, I, you know what? I think what you're trying to get out there, I don't think that's going to lead you to your desired future. Um, like, no, that's not the moment. The moment is grab the fork and say no. And say, no, like, before you shock yourself, right? Like, you, I get that you have to be, uh, you have to maybe exert power. But as kids get older, that power shifts towards influence. Um, I, I can, I can, my boys are, I have all teenage boys now in my house, which is, feels weird to even say. Um, and I can exert power if I want. I can say, this is the way it's going to be. Um, but when I do that, I, I start losing relationship there. Um, and I have to be careful. What I want with my boys is influence, not power, because they will get to the age, they'll move out, they're, gonna, they're, they're their own people. And so I'm, I'm not trying to, to to flex on them and have power over them. I'm trying to have influence with them. Um, and so I, 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 I reason with them because I said so doesn't work. <laughs> it, it won't connect me to their hearts. Uh, there's a shift that happens in parenting from authoritarian leader power somewhere down there on the lower levels and you have to shift to something more like a life coach where you're like, okay, I see how you're reasoning that out. Let's talk through options. Let me, let me kind of help walk you through the decisions that you're making. I think that is a responsibility that the Lord has laid on parents. Say, you're to shepherd these children's hearts for the years that you have them in your home. This doesn't mean you abdicate all, all authority, all, all power in the home. You don't, you know, do whatever you want, whenever you want. No, you still live in my house. There's still rules and that, and that kind of thing. But you need to shift... Um, 
and, you, and, and, to, and to serve them by listening well and reasoning with them and, and walking along, alongside them. Servant leadership in the home looks like you make an environment for your family to flourish. Um, I, I think about that of what I'm trying to provide in my own house. Where can I fan into flame the gifts that my wife has, that my children have? H- how am I contributing to serve that, to serve them? Uh, where am I picking up things? And well, if you have toddlers, all you're doing is picking up things. I mean, differently. Uh, where, where, where am I um, picking up things around the house to try to help them uh, be all that God has created them to be? Um, it's 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 a lot like growing flowers. Uh, servant leadership. It becomes. Um, you can't grow flowers by pulling on them. So, so the way you grow them is you try to provide the right environment, the soil and the sunshine and the, and the water, and, and you let God do his work of growing someone. You're just working on the environment that they're in. Now, maybe you feel some tension about all this because when you think about parenting, for a lot of people, you're gonna feel like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, I've blown it. Like, I haven't done this well. I can think, and I can think back in my own life, I can think of ways that things I said that I wish I hadn't, times I got angry that I wish I had been more under control. Um, And I don't even have to look that far back into history to to think of these things. But here's the good news. Um, how, How it has been is not how it always has to be. Just because you've blown it, you don't have to be a failure. You can start again, you can you can say from this point forward, I'm going to relate differently. I, 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 I don't have control over them, but I have some control over me. And I'm going to take a posture of servant leadership with, with, my, the own, with my family, with the people in my, my own, own home. Um, I, I don't want you to walk away from this and feel bad about what has happened in the past. What I hope you walk away from this is some fuel to where you wanna go in, in the future. So we look at Jesus as a servant leader, and there's one more piece I want to point you to. He, uh, he, he said he didn't give his life to, serve, to, to be served, but to serve. And then he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is how much of a servant Jesus was. He served people and served and served until he dies for them. He gives everything he can give, including his own life. He took it all the way to the cross, to suffering. And he, his, his servant leadership wasn't just like, let me ask everyone on the team how they're doing or let me get really invested in James and John's life and ask them about their dad, Zebedee, and how that's going. I'm sure he did that. Um, but he goes farther than all of that and he suffers and dies for the people that were, that were on his team and, and dies for us. And we are called as followers of Jesus. If you are his follower, he is your leader, we're called to suffer and, and follow him in, in that as well. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. And he said to, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's not like, oh, I've got my cross to bear and you know, these little things that we always throw out there that kind of minimize it. He's, a cross is death, a cross is suffering. And he said, if you're gonna follow after me, you're going to suffer at some point but we're gonna make it count for something and, we're gonna, and, and, and it's, gonna, it's gonna shape you and form you and, and you're going to grow. When someone gives that much to me, I take them seriously. I will follow somebody who's willing to die for something. 
you see a very clear Jesus, what he's really living for and what he's dying for. Uh, it's been attributed to author Francine Rivers. She said, unless we have something worth dying for, we've nothing worth living for. Unless we have something worth dying for, we've nothing worth living for. I think there's something profound in that that we need to consider. And let me talk to you right now who are on the fence about this whole Jesus thing. Some of you are like, okay, that's nice. I don't know if I believe it. I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. It's thousands of years ago. Who really can trust that stuff anyway? Here's the deal. Even if you're agnostic about the question of did Jesus really live? Did he rise from the dead? You should live like it's true. I really believe that. I, I think you should look at his leadership principles and go, I'm going to mold my life like that, and then let's just see what happens. Because I, I promise you, God will show up if you, if you walk down that road. Um, let, me challenge, let me challenge you on that. You can learn from him. And, and, and what I'm giving you, my desire is not just to give you some leadership tips. You can go read a John Maxwell book or something, the you know, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership or something like that. I mean, all that's good stuff. Um, Jesus doesn't just give us leadership tips. He goes farther than that. He, he's the kind of leader that dies for you. And I don't think you can say that about your team lead at the corporate job. You can't say that about the mayor. The mayor's not gonna die for you. The governor's not going to die for you. The president's not gonna die for you. No one in Congress is taking a bullet for you. Jesus dies for you. And that's a whole different thing. That's a servant leader. And that's who we as followers of Christ are called to follow. And I believe he's trustworthy because he takes it as far as it, it can go. And so my, my challenge to you is if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to say, okay, I want to lead like Jesus, but I'm going to follow him and I'm going to make him my leader, he's the forgiver of my life, my savior. Um, I, I want to challenge you to, to write on, your, on that connect card I told you about, right there on the card, hey, um, I, I, you know, check something on there about a decision that you'd like to make. Or you can even email us at the church and say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to make a decision. We will follow up with you wherever you live. We will, we will follow up with you. We will work it out. We will connect with you and talk about your next steps. Maybe your next step is to be baptized. Um, the, we, we can arrange that and, and make that work. Um, as well, just because we're scattered a bit, we, we, we've got, we have ways, we know people. So um, we, we, we'd love to see this happen if you want to give your life to Christ um, and be baptized into him. Final thing I want to tell you is we're going to take communion now. And uh, communion is when we remember that Jesus died for us. We remember that he gave and gave and gave and gave his life out as a ransom for many. So we take bread and juice that represents the body and blood of Christ. If you have those elements in your home, this is the time we will take them. We're going to sing a worship song together. As we take the bread and juice, um, you, can, you can sing, you can take that communion. Um, and then if you don't have bread and juice, you can just substitute with something and remember Jesus' death for you and sing this song. And then I'll, I'll come back with a, a, a few questions and a, and a few things to tell you before we wrap up. And so um, we'll, we'll, we'll do that there at the end. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your son dying for us, for leading the way, for being a servant to all and not being the cosmic taker, but he was a cosmic giver. And how profound that is for us, God. May we, in, every, in any and every leadership position that we find ourselves at school, at home, at work, in church, wherever it is, may we be the kind of people that uh, serve the team and, and not look to be served. Uh, thank you, 
Lord, uh, so much for this gathering uh, that we have and that uh, we can really learn from your son, Jesus. Um, As we take communion now, we remember his death. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.